All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 69. Nice. Or the Mel Engelstad version of the DFO Rundown presented by Fantrax. Do you want to dominate your league? Go to Fantrax.com, whether you're in a dynasty draft, a season-long draft, a redraft, a keeper. Do it all at Fantrax.com. So welcome in Frank Saravalli. Frank, how you doing? Nice. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, lots of stuff on the go. Season preview week. NHL season preview part one on the DFO rundown. So looking to dive in and uh, excited to look stupid and make some predictions and, uh, and roll through some of the divisions. Yeah, we'll go. Uh, we'll start in the east a little bit uh, later on. And uh, welcome to the WoodJerseys.com studio. It seems like it's a new studio today because we have the uh, the new wood jerseys. You see the Seattle Kraken. I will say, man, the Kraken jerseys, uh, the white one when I saw it live, man, that thing pops. And uh, the dark blue with the uh, the teal on the sleeves behind me, it's pretty sweet. And um, you've got the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs one there. You can go to WoodJerseys.com. They got lots of new jerseys there. Uh, check it out. It's great for your fan cave. And uh, I have to say, Frank, what, what I like about the Kraken one is is the red eye in the S part of the logo. It really pops. Yeah. And I like the anchor. The Space Needle is part of that as well. And I personally just like the Seattle Kraken S because I pretend that the S is for me. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, now, uh, before we get to our uh, Eastern uh, preview today, and we'll, we'll do the West next week on uh, on Monday's pod, but you, there are a few things uh, to discuss. Um, and any like the Jack Ica one, it sounds like there's there's been some some progress as far as you know other teams understanding the uh, the the medical situation. My question would be, why is it taking so long for that to occur? Well, I think there was a delay in exactly what was allowed to be provided to some of these other teams. And so I think when you hear Eichel's agent, Pat Brisson, talk to Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick show on Sportsnet earlier this week, he really kind of revealed a lot in the sense that he is able to share and has permission now from the Sabres to share some of Jack Eichel's MRIs, which he's had a lot of. And he's able to share some opinions. And he said they've had lots of opinions, not just a second opinion. They've had many different opinions on Jack Eichel's neck. And I think what's really interesting to me is sort of the narrative that if you're reading between the lines, like 
the Eichel camp, we, we know that they're anxious and hungry to get moving, but they're really pushing. He reiterated again that playing in the Olympics is really important to Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. He said that the timeline, if he has the artificial disc replacement surgery to return to the ice is somewhere between three and four months. So that's uh, an important time frame that really hadn't been out there. A lot of people surmise that it might be in that neighborhood. Uh, don't know what the, the time frame is. And Brisson didn't mention what that is uh, on the other type of surgery. Obviously, that's not a focus for the Eichel camp. And now that he's been able to share some of that medical information with these other interested teams and parties, they've also gotten the idea that some of these teams are, are willing to go along with the artificial disc replacement. And frankly, some aren't. So those teams that you know really aren't cool with it or comfortable with it, they're probably going to fall out of the picture. And so I think the question is, it's kind of an issue of timing. If you're another team that wants to trade for Jack Eichel, would you allow him to, would you trade for him first and then allow him to have the surgery? Or wouldn't you allow him to have the surgery with the Sabres or push to have it done with the Sabres and then see what he looks like on the flip side before trading for him? I don't know that the Sabres would allow that to happen, for instance, but this is a hockey related injury that occurred while playing for the Buffalo Sabres. So, Again, this is sticky. It's complicated. There's a lot of layers to it, but I think it's been pretty revealing listening to Pat Brisson that the two sides have remained in constant communication that I don't think there's ever been in the last five weeks since Pat Brisson took over as Jack Eichel's agent, uh, you know, a, a period of time where they just f- have fallen out of favor or it's been so, uh, you know, negative or nasty back and forth that, um, it's fallen apart or the wheels have fallen off. I think they've continued to talk and, and they're actively trying to find a resolution. I know the Sabres this week have been in meetings with doctors. Like they're trying to get this done. The question is, can they? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Like this is just something that's so much farther behind than where it should be at. And, you know, I go, I go might end up missing the Olympics because of it. And that, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, obviously he would be on the Olympic team if, if he was healthy. There's no question about it. So not good for him. Not I don't, good for the I don't Sabres. think the Sabres care about that though. No, I, I understand that, but, yeah. uh, and obviously I don't know if the Sabres care that much about winning this year either, because uh, you know, they'd, they'd want some pieces back to help him. So uh, either way to me, it's a, it's a situation that's drug on far too long and it doesn't seem like there's an immediate uh, resolution coming anytime soon. So we go from Eichel to uh, a, a few other quick topics, Frank, which will uh, fit in well to our uh, Eastern Conference preview. The uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, we're going to get to Carey Price a little bit later on, but the Ca- the Canadiens and the Canes, the, the rivalry, um, maybe more so off the ice than on the ice. Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch, obviously, the Kotkaniemi offer sheet and all the elements that went with it. The $20 signing bonus, like I, I the the press release that went out, all those different things. So here's a little juicy tidbit, and I, I haven't laid it out there anywhere else or on Twitter yet. But the NHL was alerted that the Carolina Hurricanes only played four preseason games on their schedule this year. The CBA mandated minimum is six. And there's no official confirmation, but there's some thought out there that it's the Montreal Canadiens that had alerted the NHL to this sort of interesting wrinkle in Carolina's schedule. I think, you know, for whatever Carolina's sake was, they just assumed that that rule was gone because of the pandemic or whatever it was. And the league allows teams to make their own preseason schedule and set their own dates. So it's not part of the league schedule matrix. So no one would have caught it. There's no penalty, but I think it's probably pretty fair to say that there's no love lost between these two teams. And Honestly, like I can't wait to watch them meet on the ice, like what the environment's going to be like in both Carolina and Montreal, sort of two unlikely rivals. You've got the, you know, the historic power in Montreal and, and the 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 Sunbelt team from Carolina that's just, you know, continually punched uh, in the highest weight class um, in the NHL, winning the Stanley Cup, obviously in 2006, but also in addition to that, they've been one of the best teams in the league the last couple of years. So, um, you know, to me, uh, just just fought like this is fire, little juice, little extra energy. First of all, I would just like to say I applaud the Carolina Hurricanes me because too. I think some teams having eight preseason games is just uh, it's way, way too many. Uh, I can understand energy. in certain situations, new yeah. coach, 
Uh, Maybe a new coach, but I the Seattle Kraken. I could understand wanting to have eight. um, They only had six. Right. And I think, you know, well, also their building wasn't done either. So um, that's another thing. And they're scrambling to get it done over the next two weeks uh, before hosting uh, their inaugural game on the 23rd, 22nd. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a fun little interesting wrinkle. Now, uh, what isn't fun is what happened with the uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, if Jenny Malkin's out, uh, Sidney Crosby's going to miss at least the first week of the season. And now, you know, what, what you talk about bad timing, and, and it's a reminder that, that COVID's still around, uh, even though the, the restrictions for teams and everything have changed this season. But uh, the Penguins having a little bit of a COVID outbreak themselves. And, I, and I'm curious, having seen what it did to Dallas, now, obviously, there's no games uh, canceled or anything like that. But I just, the Dallas players talked about it afterwards that a lot of them just, you know what, you have too many guys who get it, even even if there's not a serious reaction or not. Now, maybe it will be less because a lot of players are vaccinated, but it is, it is not, uh, it's not an ideal way to start the season. No, and I, I don't think it's fair to call it an outbreak. Like, I don't think that's the proper technical term. Okay. But I think it's fair to say that the Penguins are on high alert with Zach Aston Reese and J- Jake Gensel also uh, being confirmed positive. Uh, these two guys are vaccinated. I believe their entire team is vaccinated or close to it. And these, so these are what you'd call breakthrough cases, guys testing positive, having been vaccinated. But um, what's interesting is sort of how did this start and where did it come from? And so there's no way to draw a direct line, but the fact of the matter is the Penguins at their practice facility hosted the USHL fall classic a couple of weeks back. And so there were 200 plus NHL scouts that were in the building. There's no mask requirement uh, to enter the building. The masks were strongly recommended, but while inside scouts didn't have to wear masks. And I think more to the point, my understanding is that a lot of the scouts, particularly those coming in from Canada that are suddenly, you know, free and, and, and thinking it's like it was two years ago, uh, pre pandemic had themselves a time. And so my understanding is that COVID rippled through, uh, a lot of the scouting community and a lot of them figured it out as they needed to get tested to cross the border back and go into Canada. And why other teams are on high alert is because members of their scouting staff that then left that USHL fall classic and went to their team's training camp, wherever that yeah. was, has also left a lot of teams concerned. And so I think it was a really important reminder for everyone as we're all trying to get back to normal is like, be smart and wear a mask if you're going to go out there and travel and be on the road. And so, um, you know, that's sort of the one key takeaway, I think, as we, we get back to hosting these types of events and tournaments and festivals and things that a lot of different people are at is we can't just kind of go immediately back to the way things were. That's not even with a lot of people vaccinated or the vast majority, that's not how it's going to work. So, um, you know, certainly some concern there from both the Penguins uh, who I think largely kept their front office staff uh, separated. Uh, they sort of had that perch in the arena that their management watched from. And so, um, you know, they're hoping that that's not the root of it and they don't think that it is, but, um, you know, still interesting nonetheless. It's hard to pinpoint exactly a number with 200 plus scouts there. Someone said to me that there may be as many as 60 scouts that had tested positive. I've heard the number, it could be 15. No one's you know, keeping that database organized or anything like that. So it's impossible to say for sure, but either way, totally fair to say that a lot of scouts that were at the USHL fall classic tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I probably should have worded better. It wasn't the penguins outbreak, but there was essentially when you have 60 cases from one group, um, you know, I'd, I'd heard from, you know, 25 there. So that, that definitely uh, um, is something to monitor and is, is a reminder for sure. in how they act now, uh, now I'm not, there's no direct correlation to this frank but robin lander of course uh you know last week really got people's attention when, when he sent out a, a string of tweets ended up having a meeting with the national hockey league just talking about you know there, there were some teams maybe they were handing out uh, drugs and ambient and different things a little bit too easy and i just it's a, a real good reminder when you see what's happening right now with the dea the drug enforcement agency with the uh, the head trainer who the director of sports medicine for the washington football team in the National Football League, Ryan Vermillion, and they're like they have raided his house. They've raided the uh, the facility, uh, and you know there's direct uh, disbursement potentially uh, of prescription drugs. 
and you you look at the it's just something that I'm not saying this is the case in the NHL by any stretch of the imagination but when Robert Leonard brings up something like this and then you see literally a few days later a massive DEA investigation by a trainer from from a professional sports team it does make you pause and just say hey you know what this is something that's possible Robert Leonard wasn't just throwing out things on Twitter to to irritate people and it's something I think the NHL should take very serious well I think they are taking it seriously um I think the question is, you know, how deep of a dive are they going to do on the allegations that Robin Leonard brings forward? I mean, he says that he has proof. Um, I, I think it'd be fair to, to sort of outline and commend everyone the changes that were put in place in the NHL starting in 2013 when, it, you know, it was mandated in the CBA that these things need to be tracked, they need to be monitored, and, and the proper prescription protocols need to be followed but I think we'd all including the NHL and Gary Bettman and Bill Daly specifically and us in the media would be naive to think that that cleaned everything up immediately Um, so there's quite clearly at least according to Robin Leonard still work to be done and I'm glad that he has stepped forward uh, as an uncomfortable position as that might be to try and make the game better. All right, Frankie, let's get into it. Our uh, preview brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. That's right, they have become a must-have for hockey fans. You can get access to more than 1,000 out-of-market NHL games and 75 weekly national games all season long. Plus, stream thousands of live events from the best leagues and biggest tournaments in the world. Exclusive originals, the complete 30 for 30 library, love that show, premium articles and fantasy tools, and much more with ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash NHL slash DFO. And uh, today we will start in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Teams we like for the playoffs, uh, different things like that, Frank. And of course, we'll do the West next week. So let's start. Both divisions, I think, are are ultra competitive. But let's start in the Atlantic. And, um, you know, I I know, Frank, we we had uh, emailed each other back and forth earlier in the week on on where we thought teams were going to make it or not. Uh, The Carey Price situation in Montreal, I think, definitely potentially changes maybe where uh, someone had Montreal slotted in on Tuesday compared till now on Friday. So let's start in the Atlantic Division. And who do you have making the playoffs uh, in order? Okay, so I'm going to give you how I see the entire division in order, top to bottom. And then we'll talk about playoff teams. I think we should talk about the playoff teams after we get to the Metro because there might be five and three or whatever sure. it is. So, all right. So at number one, I have Toronto, uh, two, Tampa Bay, three, Florida, four, Montreal, five, Boston, six, Ottawa, seven, Detroit, and eight, Buffalo. And okay. uh, my guess is that you're going to be surprised given what you just said about Carey Price and the Canadians that I have Montreal in the four spot, particularly ahead of Boston. And my reason for that is, I think I've said it a couple of times, I don't think the Habs are going to be nearly as bad as people think. I think you're going to get more out of Cole Caulfield. You're going to get more out of Nick Suzuki. Um, I still liked their top four, you know, even without Shea Weber, I think the other three guys in that group, people like to rag on a guy like Joel Edmondson. He's a good player and serves a very distinct purpose for that team. And I think Jake Allen is the best number two in the league. So what Jake Allen needs to do is hold down the fort until Carey Price can make his way back. He was already likely not going to start the season anyway, coming off of that offseason knee surgery. Now, obviously, with what he's dealing with and and full uh, our thoughts and, and concerns are with Carey Price and his family, all that stuff takes a back seat. We're looking at, at least according to Mark Bergevin, sort of at least 30 days that Carey Price is going to be away from the team. So that puts him somewhere mid-late November if he's on track to come back in that time frame. That still leaves a vast majority of the season for Carey Price to be a, a strong contributor to your team, provided that he can, of course get healthy and get back to that level and obviously missing Shea Weber is going to hurt but um, you know I just think this team they've got more scoring touch with Mike Hoffman now Um, I think Christian Dvorak is going to be a great addition Uh, you got a a Jonathan Drouin now hopefully healthier and and in the right uh, frame of mind to be get back to the level that he was at earlier in his career I just think um, I think the Habs have a lot to offer. 
All right. Um, we have actually significantly different uh, slotting. I think we, uh, well, at least for uh, the top teams anyway. I have uh, Florida first, followed by Tampa Bay, then Toronto, Boston, Montreal, and uh, we have the same bottom three, Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo. Um, you know, I think Ottawa is going to be improved. They'll be competitive. I don't think they're going to be a sixth place team that's way out of it, but uh, I just don't think they've got enough just yet to break through. in the playoffs. Yeah. I really like the Florida Panthers, man. I like a, a lot their team buildup. I I think Spencer Knight and, and is going to push Bobrovsky. It's going to make him better. I think their mm-hmm. goaltending is going to be uh, very sound. Uh, Barkoff, of course, uh, then you know he's got the new contract extension. He's elite. Jonathan Huberdeau has really come in. Those two, you know, they're both. I think uh, you know top close to top 10, top 15 forwards in the National Hockey League. Um, if, if Aaron Ekblad doesn't get injured last year, I really wonder what would have happened to Florida. I really like him and Mackenzie Weger on the back end. I like the uh, the mix of skill and grit and size they have on that team. So I, I think Florida, they're right there. Them in Tampa Bay, man, we saw it in the preseason. That's going to be one heck of an on-ice rivalry. It's, it's exciting to see. It's never really happened, Frank, in the history of those two teams that they were both good at the same time. Yeah, Scott Burnside, by the way, just wrote a story on dailyfaceoff.com about the Battle of Florida actually being a legit thing for really the first time ever. It is, and I love it. And, you know, rivalries are fantastic. I don't care what starts them. And if Montreal and Carolina have a lot of angst against one another on the ice because of uh, their management teams, that's even better. Uh, The the Maple Leafs are just still... Um, I, I'm concerned, not concerned, because I think they're a playoff team, but I just wonder about their, their defense overall. Can it, can it match up to Tampa and Florida? They're, they're easily a playoff team in my mind. Um, Montreal, my standings actually didn't change on the Carey Price news, because I still think uh, even without Carey Price, they're better than the bottom teams. And I didn't think with Carey Price, they'd be better than Boston. And so I, I think that, you know, the old Adams division rivalry between those two, they'll, they'll be close. I don't think there's much separation, Boston and Montreal. And so uh, that's why I have them slotted there. I just, Boston, man, and and I've counted them out uh, sometimes in the past, and I really like Swayman coming up as a young goaltender. I, I think he's he's, he's going to make the Tuka Rask transition fairly smooth. Well, my concern with Boston is just there's so many new faces. I think it's it's sneaky how many changes they've had. Yes, the core is there with the Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshan group and Charlie Coyle and everyone else. On the back end, Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, but – they're adding like two to three new defensemen to their mix. Linus Olmark, a complete goal uh, change in goal. Jeremy Swayman, obviously going to pick up more of the slack, as you mentioned, but also a lot of new forwards as well. Nick Felino, Craig Smith, Eric Hall. Like these are all new faces, new places, a lot of adjustment. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, they could easily be a playoff team. I could just see things going sideways a bit, but I think we need to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, you have them third. I have them first. Why? Where do? You, why do you have them third? I guess is the easiest way to ask. Well, just because I think Florida is a deeper team, top to bottom, right? And and I like Florida's goaltending way better than I like Toronto's. And goaltending is so crucial in today's NHL. I, I think that's such a good point. Um, and it, honestly, not a lot of people have been talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their goaltending situation. Um, I think sort of the hope is the way that the Leafs have constructed their goaltending with Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic at that cap range is that yeah. they're just sort of hoping to be average, be in the league average right around there, 905, 906 save percentage, whatever it ends up being this year. And the team will clearly have enough goals to get them over the top. The reason why I don't like Florida to win the division, and I love the team, like I think all those pieces, like Sam Reinhart could easily be a point-per-game player this season. And I really like all the moves that they've made. I look at their defense core, and I just say that's a little thin for me. And, you know, you mentioned Ekblad, and I think he's going to have a fantastic year. I think Mackenzie Wegar is a good player. Forsling probably doesn't get enough um, attention for how well he plays. But I think there's a pretty significant drop-off, and I think the I think the Leafs have and match the – Panthers in all of that top end scoring, obviously, but I think their defense is structured a bit better top to bottom than Florida. And I just have Tampa in the two spot because I just think it's so hard to get geared up after winning two cups to have a really super consistent out of the gate 
strong all the way through regular season when you know that you don't need to flip the switch until it really matters. I'm 100% agreement, And I think Tampa Bay, uh, you know, go, going for the three-peat is, is going to be massive for them. I, obviously, that's going to be their goal. And I think that, you know what, uh, on certain nights in the regular season, not that you you take a night off by any stretch, but, you know, they've lost yeah. some key guys, some depth players. They still have their elite stars, which is why, you know, they're an easy playoff team in my eyes. And, and you know what, Frank, I, I look back and – it's it's obviously been a while, but you look at teams that that are competitive and, and have won the cup for those years. They don't necessarily win their division every year because ultimately, you know, if they finish second in their division, I, I don't think they're worried if they have to go on the road in the second round and that they can't win. So I, I'm 100% agreeing with you. Ta- they don't Tampa have anything Bay, to prove. No, very little. And and you know, Florida or Toronto, you know, both of those teams are, are teams that you know that they're like the younger brother who feels like he's got something to prove against the big dog. And you know, uh, we'll see if they're able to do it. I I think you know those top three, um, they, they could easily finish in any any order one two three at all. I just I had Florida over Tampa Bay simply because I think they'll you know they'll want to they'll want the division a little bit maybe more than than Tampa would at times in the regular season. And it I think those three teams though honestly I think there'll be a separation from them to the rest. I don't think it's going to be like who's ever third number four is is one or two points back. I think there'll be a separation amongst those top three. Hmm. Interesting. All right, let's move to the Metro. Give me your top eight in order. I'll say this, Frank, I must have went through this more than any other division. Like I find like the, the top three in the the top three in the Atlantic, I thought there was a separation. I can't like there's a lot of teams in the Metro that could easily finish second or fifth, at least for me, when I was breaking them all down. And I, I think that like the, the the bottom two slots were the easiest for me. And it's kind of, you know, I have New Jersey and Columbus as, as seven and eight. I just I don't I don't buy like New Jersey's gonna be improved, but I don't think they're gonna be that improved. But the top six I battled with it up and down and ultimately I came up with I have the Islanders first followed by Carolina Washington the New York Rangers Philadelphia and then the Pittsburgh Penguins and then uh, New Jersey and Columbus and the the Islanders so Rangers at four is what surprises me because we had our first three that are the same Islanders Carolina and Washington in order so why did you go Rangers four well, I've looked back the last two seasons for the Rangers and their starts is what's crushed them. They've been really good in the second half. Now, a lot of that's tied into Mika Zibanejad. Now, I know that Mika Zibanejad had COVID last year, so, you know, I'll give him that. I've, I've seen how some guys react. It takes a long time. And, and the previous year, like in the second half of the season, he was the most dangerous goal scorer in the NHL in 2020 from January on. Like, the guy was on fire. And if Zibanejad can just not be kind of a ghost for the first 20 games, he's that important to that team and uh, obviously they got the Randy Norris trophy winner Adam Fox uh, I like their goaltending uh, I really think and I know he got injured but they're saying it's not serious I think Adam, Ryan Reeves is just going to bring something that it's an intangible to a, a locker room that just makes everybody feel a little bit more confident and he's not he's not the old days of the mid 90s enforcer who literally played four minutes a night and couldn't do much like Ryan Reeves can contribute he was on the ice for 10 11 solid minutes in Vegas for years and so he contributed to that. He definitely will ch- he'll chirp anybody. He's not afraid of anybody. And I think he gives a little bit extra cockiness to that entire room. I just, I feel, and the other thing is Capo Caco. I'm saying it right now. I think he's the breakout player this year. He's, he's going to, he's into his third season. I think he's going to have a big year for the New York Rain. I'm not, ta- not a point of game or anything like that, Frank, but I think this guy jumps up significantly. I think he's going to be a 50 plus point player. They've got Panarin. They've got lots of depth through their lineup. So I picked the Rangers to move up. Um, Philadelphia, them and the Rangers, it was literally almost flip a coin. I like. I think Philly has a bounce back season after being terrible last year. I think Carter Hart will be way better. I like their overall depth and and Pittsburgh. I just think the lack of Malkin, the the Crosby, even if it's only two weeks in that division, you know, you get off to a slow start. I think you're playing catch up. You mentioned Gensel might not be out. If they just got they got so many question marks to start the season, I don't think they'll be out of it by any stretch. But I had to put somebody six out of those top six teams, and it turned out being the Penguins. Who do you got? Okay, so I got Islanders 1, Carolina 2, Washington 3, as mentioned. And then I have Philly 4, Pittsburgh 5, Rangers 6, New Jersey 7, Columbus 8. Now, here's the thing. I could see everything that you said happen. Like, it's all, you know, it's all within the realm of possibility. Like, I think the Rangers, and if you have – 
really just one or two of those young players take a big step, they're going to be in a way better spot. I'm just not a believer in their defense. Yes, they have Adam Fox. I think it's Fox here. I think there's Truba a bit below him. And then it's an enormous drop off to the guys below them. And yeah, there's still as much of a believer as I am in, in Igor Shesterkin. And I think his contract is fantastic. Um, all those things. And I like Alexander Georgiev as the guy spelling him when needed. I think Carter Hart proved last year that with a really young goalie and, and obviously Shesterkin is a little bit older than Hart because he played in Russia, the path and, and progression is not always a straight line up. So yeah. that's, that's another question mark for the Rangers. Uh, I just think they have still room to grow and to, you know, to build in order to get to where they want to get to. And that's fair. I, I just like the, the Sammy blaze uh, along with Goudreau and Reeves, just as you know, and we saw in yeah. Tampa Bay, like but those they took guys, a they 60 just... point player in their lineup out in, in Buchnevich. Yeah, no, I like, well, that's where I think Cackle and, and Lafreniere, I'm not ready to, I don't think friend, like they can't all have big jumps. That's like, I'm never one. That's why I, I, I said at, one or two of those guys yeah. and they're going to Capo, Caco or Lafreniere. Like you're going to have a big jump forward. I think as yeah. a team, yeah. you, you and, really only need one. And, and that could say like, that's to say nothing of Kravtsov or, um, you know, how does, uh, Philip Scheidel do? Does he take another step forward? Like all those things, um, you know, they're all going to play a part in how the Rangers do as a group. I'll say this, the one defenseman, Ryan Lindgren, he might be the, the most underappreciated defenseman in the NHL, right? Like I know that Adam Fox is like the highlight real guy and he's really good, but man, as a, as a pair, they play together exceptionally well. And I've had lots of scouts say Ryan Lindgren is, he, he really knows how to defend. And, and I had a GM explain to me how you look at, you know, let's say there's 215 NHL defensemen, right? There's probably maybe 25 who are like really good offensively. Mm-hmm. Then the rest, the ones who stay there year after year, they're good defensively. And Ryan Lindgren really knows how to defend. He knows how to play with Adam Fox. And, and I think he's, he's not the splashy guy. He's not going to get a lot of accolades, Frank, but I really like him as a defenseman who just, he knows how to defend and playing with a high octane offensive guy. You need to be a good defender. Like I look at Chris Tanev and, and Hughes in Vancouver and look at the difference Hughes game without Tanev. Right. And I'm not saying Lingren's not not there yet, but I think in the next few years, people are going to look at the Rangers and say, geez, this Ryan Lingren guy. Like he's just, he's out there. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He knows how to defend and he knows how to make a first pass. Mm. So let me give you my eight playoff teams. And this is where there might be yes. some surprise. Okay. So I've got Toronto, Tampa, and Florida from the Atlantic. And I think yeah. only three are getting in. And it's funny because I was saying a few weeks ago that I think there's a chance that five get in from the Atlantic. And that's obviously still possible. But I think five get in from the Metro, the Islanders, Carolina, Washington, Philly, and Pittsburgh. And the reason why I'm saying that is I think there's going to be an interesting point distribution in the Atlantic that I think those three teams are so head and shoulders above the rest of the group that they're going to beat up and create some separation between themselves and everyone else in that division. Whereas in, in the Metro, I think it's a lot more evenly stacked and you're going to see a lot of teams sort of in the same point neighborhood that, you know, the a rising tide raises all boats kind of idea. Does that make any sense to you? I'm with you, man, because my top, I have a three from the Atlantic and five from the Metro as well. Okay. But no. so here's why I think Philly and Pitt get in. And obviously you have the Rangers and Philly, right? Yes. I think the Flyers, Chuck Fletcher said it on Thursday. It feels like two years ago here. I think Carter Hart's going to rebound in a big way. The goaltending was such a big part of their demise last year, and they still, um, as bad as they were, they still really weren't that far off in a point scheme to getting in. Um, There's that. They're also a way tougher team to play against. If Ryan Ellis is healthy, Rasmus Ristolainen, they've got a power play specialist now on Keith Yandel that they didn't previously have. Their back end is much better suited. And yes, they lost a little punch offensively, I think, with Jake Jake Voracek, excuse me, moving on to Columbus. But I think Cam Atkinson is in that 25 to 30 goal range. And so, um, you know, I just think the Flyers are going to be a much more difficult team to play against, which probably is good for them. And then Pittsburgh... We talked about it with Rob Rossi on the pod last week, episode 67. 
that this Pittsburgh team, this is the last dance. Like you could honestly make, if you were going to pick a team to do an all or nothing this year and go behind the scenes, I'd put all the cameras in Pittsburgh because they've won (laughs) three championships. Yeah. They've got this core that's immensely popular and Malkin and, and Chris Letang, they know that in the final year of their deals, they may never be together again. And they've got an incredibly long playoff streak, 15 years, I believe on the line. I, I think that they'll find a way whether, you know, and Malkin's extremely motivated. Let's not forget this is an Olympic year. We talked about this. He's going to be back before the Olympics, whether it's early January, late January, whatever it is, he's going to play at least four to five games to show that he's healthy to the penguins before they sign off on him going to the Olympics and playing for Russia. So, um, to me, I, I just think the Penguins find they have just enough to, to scratch and claw their way in. And this is sort of the last hurrah for this group before some big changes are coming. So essentially we have uh, seven uh, of the same playoff teams in uh, Toronto, Florida, Tampa Bay, the Islanders, Washington, Carolina. Uh, we both have Philly. And then I have the Rangers and you have Pittsburgh. And I can see the argument easily for the Penguins. Um uh, the 15 year thing, uh, sadly, all good things come to an end at some point, Frank. And I just, I, I think it's the Rangers have been the the best team not to make the playoffs the last few years, at, at least for the, you know, the, the, the final few months of each season. Now, maybe that'll be their, their, uh, their problem again, as they, they start too slow and they think they're going to pass everybody in the pack and then they end up, you know, just missing out. It could happen again, but I just, the Rangers to me are, are ready to go. If Pittsburgh was healthy to start the season, then I, I couldn't pick him out. And it, it is, I do, Pittsburgh was the one team that I struggled with that the, I, I think the Metro was extremely tight. One day I was like, okay, I'm putting the Penguins in. I'm taking out the, the Flyers. And then I was like, oh, it's the Rangers. And ultimately I decided on New York. I just, I like New York. I picked New York as my kind of surprise team to have a have a, a really good jump up. And and you know what? I, I looked at their schedule. They got a decent schedule uh, overall this year. And, you know, it's funny, like not a lot of teams have a massive condensed schedule because of the extra 14 days um, that they've got in the season this year i know everyone's like well there's always an olympic break yeah but the season ends now at the end of april and usually it ends april 7th 8th 9th or 10th so mm-hmm. that extra time off i think is going to help some teams and the rangers it's also starting a week or 10 days later than normal too yeah yeah we usually we'll start on like the six so it's kind of like you know a week later i just think there's that, that extra 10 days at the end of the season that's allowing it to be less condensed than than other seasons have been in an olympic year and I think that's going to benefit a team like New York. I, I overall, I really like their team. Um, Panarin is, you know, hey, he's the bread man. I like the fact that he knows who he is. I don't want to be captain. That's not who I am. Good for him. And, uh, you know, Fox is, he's coming. He was obviously very good last year. I think he's going to be good again this year. Um, you're, you brought up the one point that I agreed with, and that's the goaltending. And it's, I, until you do it year in and year out, I'm not, I'm not ready to annoy. It was like people who jumped on the, Corpusalo train after his one playoff run and you know he was standing on his head and they're like oh this guy's great and well three out of four years he's been an 897 save percentage to me that's not consistent enough to be good and so i do the need Sirkins to see a played little bit 47 more. games yeah i agree that's the that's one it. and that's question that, mark. and and look i'm not saying he can't do it i'm just saying he hasn't proven it yeah. um and and you know what's funny i wanted to give some love to the the bottom two teams in in the metro I, I, this was not a foregone conclusion for me with New Jersey and Columbus. And I know people are probably sitting there going Columbus, really? Like, what do you see? That team is going to work. It's ass oh, yeah. off. So to think that you're going to get a free night against Columbus, like that's just not the case. Um, I, I, I had, I kind of had a hard time. I'm like, I'm wondering if they're going to be sneaky, not good, not playoff team, but they're going to be so competitive that they find a way to not finish last. And then I didn't know what to do with New Jersey because I really like the young players they have. They've obviously gotten better with Dougie Hamilton. Mackenzie Blackwood is a legit, legit starter. I mean, there Ryan Graves was a great offseason addition. Like I don't like I personally don't see a ton separating the Rangers and Devils, to be honest. That's going to be fun, man. Um, I'm not as high on New Jersey as, as a lot of other people. Um, so we'll kind of see how that, uh, how that plays out. Um, I just, I, I think I like New Jersey's young players better. I'm sorry, new, the Rangers young players better than the New Jersey young players. That's what it came down to, to me. Mm. Yeah, so give so. me, 
one I got so we got one wild card question here. Speaking of the East, and we'll have another one for the West. Give me Austin Matthews goal total this season. God. The stuff part about that is is you know, can he play his games? Because if he's in the lineup every night, then then I would definitely be go higher. I'm gonna say 54. Okay. He'll score 50 for the first time. I think he's a, I think he's like a legit 50 goal scorer. He's he's obviously one of the best shooters in the league, and he would have scored 50 a few years ago, no question. So I will say 54 for Matthews. Unfortunately, I think he misses some games. Otherwise, he'd push for 60. I'm gonna say 58. Closer to that 60 number, I still think he misses a handful of games, five, seven games, somewhere in that neighborhood. But I, I think it's possible that he scores 58 in like 75 games. That's how good he is. No, and the man. wrist is healed. I, 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 I could easily see him 62, 65 if he plays all 82. That, no, it's very possible. We but that's where, that's where the bet is interesting, right? It's like how yes. many games does he miss and what, what is that, how does that end up impacting the total? Because that's, that's impacted him every year. He could have set the team record last year. Oh, 100%. And the, the, the wrist is a concern for me too. Right. Like obviously they're being ultra cautious on it to start the season, but I just wonder if in a week, you know, what if he jams his wrist? What, you know, what if he, t- you take a lot of pressure on that. What if he has the, the back injury that seems to have popped yeah. up for him every now and again? Yeah. I mean, these so are just, all I, important questions. I'm someone who I never call people injury prone because I, I think that we've seen some guys who have it for two, three years and it's gone for five or six. I just, I hope he's not one of those superstar players that, always has to miss, you know, 10%, 15% of the games because the league's better. I don't care what league 100%. you cheer for. The league's better when the best players are in the league every night. Yep. So hope that happens. So mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. Hey, let's welcome uh, Tyler into the uh, woodjerseys.com studio for a little buy or sell. Yes, buy or sell, you guys. It is brought to you by and delivered by our friends at DoorDash, where first-time users of the app can use the promo code RUNDOWNDD and get themselves 25% off. Uh, It's going to have to be a quick version of buy or sell here because I know we are running out of time, so consider it a combination of rapid fire and buy or sell. And the first one here, I was looking at some team total over-unders. I'm going to say the Sabres do not crack the 65-point mark. They'll be under 65 points this year. Frank, you buying or selling? I'm buying. I could see that. I could see them in the 57, 58 range. I mean, the goaltending alone should cost them a ton of points. (laughs) Yes. 2017, the uh, Colorado Avalanche had 48 points. Ooh. Buffalo is going to push for that. Honestly, I uh, Buffalo's team, they're just, they don't, they don't have a lot. It's unfortunate for those players. I feel sorry for them. It's not their fault, but uh, they're, they're going into a gunfight with, uh, with a, like a, one of those little plastic water guns <laughs> and it's got a hole in the bottom of it. And it just drips out. I, uh, I would like to point out that our friends at points bet USA have the total for the Sabres set at 65 and a half. So if you, if you want to lay some money on oh, that, there's, there's an dude. opportunity to do it. Uh, Jay, this, Jay is logging in as I am right now, but uh, I'm, but I, I'm so confident that I'll take some of Frank's money and put it down. <laughs> uh, the second over under that caught my eye was the Montreal Canadians. They're set at 90 and a half. I'm going to say they don't hit the 90 point mark. Jason buying or selling. Well, I don't have them as a playoff team. And I, I think the uh, the point totals in the in the East are, are going to be right around 93, that 93, 94, 94. Yeah. So uh, I am going to go under. I will. Uh, so I will sell and uh, I will say under 90. I would take that bet. I would go over. Um, I just, you know, all the reasons I outlined about the Habs, I, I just think they're going to be better than people think. Third one I got up here, moving on to some players. I'm going to say Taylor Hall bounces back to be a 20-goal scorer with the Boston Bruins this season. Frank, you buying or selling? Buying. It's not an incredibly high bar to set for a guy that yeah. can score, and and you, you saw him come back and be reinvigorated in Boston. I think he's comfortable now. He's got a little term. He knows that he's going to be there for a little bit. The team's better. Easy 20 goals. Yeah, Halls is an interesting because he's never really been a you know a high octane goal scorer, right? Produces points, but yeah, twenty goals to me. If, if Taylor Hall doesn't get twenty goals, and you know that's that's a that's actually not a very good full season for him at all. So yeah, I would I would say uh, twenty for sure. I'll buy. When the line first opened on most sports books, it was at thirteen and a half. That's what I was able to get in on. I think he might get fourteen in the first half of the season alone. Uh, Cole Caulfield. You know, a lot of hype around him, obviously, favorite to win the Calder Trophy. I'm going to say he doesn't hit the 30-point mark, though, which is where I've seen some people project him. Gregor, are you buying or selling? 
Did you say 30 points? 30 goals. Sorry, 30 goals. Oh, 30 goals. I was going to say 30 <laughs> points. Uh, yeah, oh, no, 30, 30 goals. Points. No, I, I, will, uh, I will sell all day long. 30 goals is hard in the National Hockey League. It's very difficult. And I, I know he, you know what, he's a shooter. He had, he had some success scoring goals um, down the stretch, especially at three on three. He's a dynamic player there. But it's the regular season now. Uh, teams will know him a little bit better. And it is the NHL is a tough league to score in. I think Cole Caulfield gets over 20, but under 30. Over under is 30? Yeah. I don't, I, I would take the over. I'm not going to bet again. Like, I, I would hate to be that person that's sitting there betting the under. If you put a gun to my head and said, you have to bet Cole Caulfield over or under, I would take the over because I wouldn't want to be saying, please don't score. Please don't score. This guy's on a tear. Uh, it's like that guy watching the football game, rooting for the under stinks. Um, I I think, uh, in this case, Cole Caulfield will be right in that range. And I think he gets there. He, some guys just find a way. And for whatever reason, every single time people have found a way to write this guy off, even going back to the hype around his draft year. Um, and, and, and people were saying, oh, he's too small. And you watch him fall in the draft teams continue to measure with a tape measure. And you go back and you look at his last calendar year, whatever those graphics were popping up in the cup final and all the goals that he had scored last count, it was like 60 some. I know it's a bunch of different levels and I know all that, but in his limited window that he's shown this with the NHL and the Montreal Canadiens, hard to bet against Cole Caulfield. I'm taking the over. By the way, I got so lost in looking this up. The lowest amount of goals Taylor Hall has scored in a full season in which he's played 70 games, at least 70 games, is 20. So seems like a lot. 20, to me. 22, 27, 26, 39. So, yeah. All right. And here's the last one I got for you. Back to back years where Braden Point has failed to be a point per game player. I'm going to say he kind of bounces back in a way this season and sets a career high, which would be more than 92 points. Braden Point to get more than 92 points. Greg, are you buying or selling? Now that's a really good line. I'm a huge fan of Braden Point. Um, Kucherov's here to start the season. Him and Kucherov are dynamic together. So, yeah, I'm going to take the over on uh, on Braden Point to score 92. Uh, I think uh, increased power plays this year are going to ha- uh, help some of these uh, high productive offensive players, and we're going to have uh, more numbers. So I will say definitely uh, buying on uh, 92 points for Braden Point. I am going to sell. Ooh. I'm going to take the under. I think he's in the 78 to 85 range. Um, you look back to his 92-point season, he had 20 power play goals that led the league. I don't know that anyone's scoring 20 power play goals again. And, you know, I like him with Kucherov, all the things you said. It's still a pretty high number to get to. There you go. Do you guys, do you guys know in the last decade, uh, only seven rookies have, uh, have scored 30 goals? Now, Ooh. Austin Matthews, the most with 40. Patrick Laine had 36. Michael Grabner. Had 34. What happened to Michael Grabner? Logan Couture, 32. Skinner and Kyle Connor, 31. And uh, Artemi Panarin had 30. It's tough to score uh, as a rookie. So uh, that's a good line. That's a good number of 30 30 goals. 31. Like Kyle Connor to me is the roadmap for for Cole Caulfield to get there. Uh, You know, he comes in and scores 31. Like I, I just, I don't know. I think he has quite clearly the ability to do it. All right, there you go. That is buy or sell delivered by DoorDash restaurants and more delivered right to your door. Use the promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off. No delivery fees on your first order. Awesome. Yeah. The Cole Caulfield question is great. I think you get a lot, you're, you're going to get a lot of varying opinions. Like 30 is a really good line number. Like that one really had to think about it. Um, you know, uh, Ty crushed it on that one. There's a little weak yeah. on the hall, uh, 20 goals. So, uh, you know, uh, he evened <laughs> out there. So we'll have some fun with him on that one. Um, we will do the, uh, the West, on uh, Monday, and uh, we'll have a guest on the pod as well. It's, a, it's an interesting weekend. Of course, uh, well, by the time, pretty much the waiver wire, I think it's um, 3 o'clock, Frank, on uh, Monday, 3 o'clock Mountain Time, 5 o'clock Eastern. The teams have to submit their uh, their rosters. But anybody that has to, to go on waivers yeah. has to go on waivers Sunday by, uh, well, you know, they'll go on waivers at, at, uh, at 2 Eastern, noon um, Mountain Time. 
So uh, we'll look for the waiver wire that should be fairly heavy over the weekend. And we'll have some names and we'll, we'll see if there's some names that uh, teams might claim. We've already seen two waiver claims a little early in the process. We'll see if there's a, there's a few more of them potentially available. Uh, once again, that was uh, the DFO Rundown brought to you by Fantrax, the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience, whether you got a keeper league, a redraft league, a dynasty league. Check it out at Fantrax, that's T-R-A-X.com, slash DFO Rundown, where you can enter and win a signed Nathan McKinnon jersey. Frank, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.